Welcome to Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and my partner, Kelly McVeigh. Let's get started. So that's the topic, kind of. We're trying to, we're going to get into the topic of fertility today on the podcast. Welcome to Greener Grass, and we hope that you enjoyed our last couple, but today we're going to pivot to getting to know us and talking about the grass is greener with baby making. And uh, this is the uh, baby machine versus egg freezing. Yes. I, I actually think, which maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm really excited, not excited. I don't know if excited is the right word, but interested in learning because I had no idea um, until just this week that you even froze eggs or if that was part of the situation. Like when you and I first reconnected, I knew that it was something important to you. I knew that you really wanted to have a child and you were like, you have four. I really want one. I'm afraid, you know, that the clock is ticking and, you know, now you have Bean, who's our third pot, our third host. Um, I had no idea that that was a part of your journey. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you'll lead today's call just because I think it is something that a lot of women um, struggle with in today's world. And I think, I think, Carrie, you tell me, but I think it's more, um, people are more aware of it now because they're, I don't want to say there are solutions, but back in the day, if someone pro- couldn't have a child or they were struggling or even with age, there weren't things that they could do. And they kind of just had to accept it and move forward. And now because of science, there are so many different um, opportunities. And so I'm just interested in learning about that journey for you in a lot of ways. Yeah. Kelly, do you have a number of friends who have babies via IVF? Okay. So I have to say, I have a best friend who went through this journey and being, um, on the outside, it is hard because you don't have the right say. There's nothing to say. I want to compare it a little bit to dating, but I'm sure it doesn't feel like that to someone who's struggling with that situation that it's like, no, listen, it will come, it will happen. Just relax, just breathe through it. And someone that's going through the process is like, you have no idea what I'm feeling, how big of a struggle it is. Um, but I also have to say with the company that I work for, the corporate company, it I interact with people that struggle with this all the time because our company is really based on products that don't have toxic chemicals in them. And with fertility, there are a lot of people that on their journey to having children, one of the things that comes um, into play is the products that they use every single day. So a lot of women that I work with within the company that I work for struggle have struggled in the past with fertility and were that was a part of their journey and what led them to using products that are safe. So I actually know more people than I wish I knew that have struggled with that. And that have the process of the shots, the hormones, the feelings, um, and, you know, hoping that you have success and have a child. Well, it makes sense because you're in a very female-focused industry. 
Yes. A lot of women. And I think that this is something that, you know, just more people, I don't think it's more people than back in the day. I just think that more people are aware of the situation than before. Okay. Uh, but that's um, opinion. What do you think about that? I don't, I don't. I I have a lot of friends who have had babies via IVF or just did, did the IVF process and didn't have a baby. It just didn't work out. I do think that it is so common now amongst just our country. You know, women are waiting longer to have babies. They're leaning into their careers and choosing not to have kids until they're close to their 40s. And there's a moment where almost all of my friends are like, crap, I'm 38 or I'm 36. We better get on this. Right. Whether they're in a relationship or not. Right. So among my friends, there has been like a huge boom of babies in the last three years because everybody's kind of having that same thought. And my friends are anywhere from like mid thirties to mid forties. Right. And I'm asking, I hope this doesn't sound like a silly question, but do you think that has any, I mean, I definitely think people in general are waiting longer to have children, but do you think that that has anything to do with being on the West coast and the industry that you're in? You know, that's a good question because I feel like women who are in cities like New York City and D.C. and super, super, you know, ladder climbing women are kind of having the same experience where they're waiting. Right. So I don't know if it's a coastal thing. I think maybe that's more of a question than if it's just West Coast because the career, the super career driven women um, you know, they just put it off and then time creeps up on you. Right. For me, it was more of a relationship problem than time creeping up in the, in, in the, in the second half of my thirties, because I, I am divorced and that relationship, I'm really happy. And look, if I had a kid with that man, I would love that kid too, but it would be more complicated, obviously, you know. Right. That then you're now tethered to somebody who is no longer your partner, which becomes, you know, I think the word's complicated, right? super complicated. So me and my ex were splitting up and we luckily didn't have so many assets crossed over. So the actual legal part of the divorce was quite like check the boxes, sign the dot, dotted line. But I was 38. I already have issues with anxiety. And I was just like, man, I am just, maybe the time's not going to work for me. And I'm going to miss out on that experience in my life because my marriage didn't work out. You know, the idea of dating right away after, you know, pretty hard breakup you know, it's like, you kind of just don't want to do that. You kind of want to just focus on yourself, but I felt pressure to start dating. And so what I did was I decided to invest a lot of money, $17,000 of my own money. 
Can you believe that? That's a lot. I thought it was going to be 13,000 and it ended up being 17,000 because my body was not really responding to the hormones that I was putting into it. And they ended up having to jack up my, my dosages because if not, I would completely waste the already 7000 or $10,000 I put into my body. You know, you're halfway through a hormone regimen and it's not working. What do you do? Right. And my doctor decided to up it. And so there's more money. And um, I didn't have a successful – okay, let me back up. I was ha- It was so stressful because up until the last day, we didn't even know if we were going to get any eggs out. Can you imagine $17,000 and nothing? No, I mean – Nothing? I, no, I can't even. Yeah. And and then also coming from a person who – that 17000 was blood, sweat, and tears of me – pinching my dollars to save. I mean, I'm a dancer for goodness sakes. Right. I don't have, like, I'm not getting paid every week. I'm just doing my best to save my money. And, you know, before I decided to get the eggs frozen, I asked my family, I asked my friends, like, is it worth the insurance policy, this really expensive insurance policy so that I can have a, a biological kid later? Because obviously my marriage didn't work out. So insurance, what does that mean? I mean, I... Well, the eggs are insurance policy against my eggs getting too old and years going by and not being able to get pregnant, having my eggs be too old. And I remember my mom saying, she's very wise about really important things. She says to me, your eggs aren't happy right now. It's not the right time to do this (laughs) in her Chinese way. And so in her way, she was trying to say, like, your body's not happy. Like, you're not happy. You're going, you know, I was going through, I don't know if it would be clinical depression, but, you know, like, my my marriage was over. I was not happy about any of it. I was sad, you know. So going into a process like that, my body is not giving happy vibes. So that was kind of her way of telling me that she, you know, she's like, your your body's not happy and it's not that surprising that you got four eggs, whereas, you know, they want to grab like 25 to 30 eggs. And then out of that, only a fraction of them become embryos. So I have two things. So one, you're telling me that you spent $17,000 for four eggs or? Yes. At the end of the day. That's a lot of freaking money for four eggs. It's a lot. And then the statistical likelihood of any of those four eggs successfully coming embryos that could then be implanted and then then become a fetus, you know, like the numbers just keep on going down and down and down. Whereas, you know, like it's crazy. The numbers are not on your side. And then I have friends who I just talked to one of my friends had did four rounds of this like hormones, get the egg out, make an embryo, see what happens four times. I mean, that's at least a hundred thousand dollars at least. So listen, I'm going to say I, people that know me or listeners that know me, know me, know, I feel like I'm very, can be very contradicting and thoughts probably because I like to see both sides of things. So once I sense, I feel like, holy crap, you're joking me. And then on the other sense, I feel like, is there a price on a child? Like, but I guess it's a chance of a child. It's not even like 
you're paying $100,000 and you end up with a baby in your arms? Because I think I am sure there are a million people out there that would pay $100,000. I mean, the price of a house, it's less than a house. It's, you know, $17,000 is less than a lot of people pay for their cars. Or, you know, the same as what people pay for a car. So yes, in that sense, for sure, I paid that amount of money for a child that I'm going to have for my entire life, a piece of me. But on the other side of things, this is a chance for that. That's not even, it doesn't even mean you end up with a baby. Correct. And then if you also look at how much adoption costs, it can cost between fifty dollars to $150,000 as well. Right adopting a baby, adopting, you know, surrogacy even more. And then of course, now that I'm, you know, saying it out loud, it's just like the biggest first world problem. You know, there's a lot of families who can't afford to, like I could barely afford to, to do what I did, but I did it because I think, I think for me, besides the besides the logistical part of it that I did want a child, it was my way of trying to take control of a situation that was completely out of control for me. Right. You know, because the, the divorce happened and I felt like, I don't know if like, I felt like because this marriage didn't work out, I'm not going to have my dreams come to life. Right. Right. I do 100%. And you mentioned this a little bit, like I am a firm believer in mind, body, soul. And there have been certain times in life that, um, I had this shoulder pain for like a year and a half and I went to a massage therapist. I took yoga every single day. I went to the doctor and had a muscle relaxer. And I, I think that when the situation ended that was giving me that pain, it was so crazy. Like I had this, this weight lifted off of me and then my shoulder was better. And so I think that there are so many things like your mom telling you, um, your eggs aren't ready or whatever she said. It was because your life was so up in the air. And Mm -hmm. when you had the loss of that marriage, it wasn't just the loss of that marriage. It was the loss of, in your mind at that moment, a baby, your future, what you, your dreams or your goals. Really. Yeah. And so it was a lot more than just letting go of that relationship, um, which she was probably right. It wasn't the right time and your body wasn't ready because look at where you're at now and look what you have. And I think it is partially people settling into the path that is your path and what the universe has in store for you, but super hard when all you want is to have a little bundle in your arms. Yeah. And what happened is that I, and I think this will be a separate episode. I, I furiously dated. (laughs) That's how I characterize it. Furiously dated. The apps helped me furiously date. And I ended up, my life partner now, my life partner, it ended up being somebody that I met organically. Again, that doesn't always happen. Right. But he was already in my life and I was still frantically dating. And it, it did. It happened exactly the way it was supposed to. We didn't plan to have our child. We just didn't put a lot of pressure on ourselves. 
And he helped me not have pressure on ourselves. So, you know, he really helped me with that. When you were frantically dating that now that you can go back and look at the situation, when you were frantically dating, were you frantically dating with a time clock in mind of having a baby or were you frantically, frantically dating just because you wanted to be in a relationship and you felt like it was time and you had to frantically date in your mind, you had to frantically date to get to that. It was more the first. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was more the first. Yeah, it, it's like let's let me find somebody who also wants to have a family. Yeah, and you let let me hopefully, you know, like all the things come together, and I want to be in love, and I want it to be a wonderful relationship. But time's a ticking. Let's go. Yeah, and there are some men who feel the same way. I, I know a lot of people who are very happily married to people who they met online. They had the same life goal. they had the same life goal of having a family and they were both, you know, in their forties already or close to their forties. And, and it totally works out. Yeah. Totally works out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was more of the first and, but Asa was just so wonderful because now I see him with our child and I know now how much he really wanted this, but he didn't, he was like, you know what, what happens is what happens that's what's supposed to be. And I think that his, he's got a chillness that I just don't have. Right. He's not chill with everything, but he's got, he's got a part of his personality that is very much like very, very um, grounded like that. And yeah, I've met, it it helped me. I've met him and, and I, I mean only once for a moment, but I do feel like he is this like quiet, balanced, um, but I feel like he could be a storm too, a quiet, balanced storm. That like, yeah, he can be both. But for sure, he is like a rock in 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 that way. And then he can be a storm too because he's he's a musician and he's super in touch with himself. So yeah, you know, most most artists are very emotional people when it comes to just feeling things. And so was he part of them is not shut off. Was he on a journey on the other side of things um, as a, you know, male? Like, was he, was that in his space to have, like, to settle and have kids and do all the things? You know, if you ask him, he would say no, but I think that's what he was actually doing. Yes. You know, like, I talked to his sisters, and they're like, no, that's what he really wanted, but men don't say it, and also... You will not find a man on any app saying, I'm looking for, you know, like women do. Would you like to say something into the microphone? Can you say may? We're teaching, we're teaching Bean to actually talk on the, on the the mic mic with us. Can you say cool? Cool. That was amazing. Listen, we have to talk on today's call because this call or call this podcast is about the journey that got to her. So yeah. Yeah. You know, she also, the, the one syllable words are really good right now. She can say, you know, when the microphone says, or the microwave says, ding. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's where we're at. So, yeah, so it was just, it was just meant to be, honestly, because I tried so hard all the other things. And with, with Asa, we didn't have to try that hard to do anything. 
And I don't think that's everybody's. Other people can be in a situation where it's meant to be, but they have to really fight for it. And and I feel like with us, it was very, we locked arms and smooth sailing in a way. So listen, there is no answer to what I'm about to ask. Um, but I feel like it is the thing that everyone tells you always and you don't listen and you don't believe and you're like fighting through a situation, whatever that situation is. But everything always pans out and you get to the other side of a struggle or a situation um, or on the, the other side of the fence of greener grass or whatever situation. And you're like, okay, this is how it was meant to pan out. Majority of the time, I feel like that's true. So do you feel like there is no way in the moment, like, I feel like whatever you're in that moment, people are telling you like, oh my gosh, it's brighter on the other side. And like, you can't have struggles without, you know, getting to the other side and you'll feel so much better when you get to the other side of this. And this is part of the journey, but there is no way when you're in it to believe, hear what people are saying and just be in the present and feel okay about it. I mean, because I'm sure people were telling you that like, Oh yeah, of course. I mean, my girlfriends are famous, famous for saying, I, I just, I would just laugh because they're famous for being like, you should take a break from guys. Like, you know, when I was furiously dating, like chill, you got to be with yourself before you can be with other people. Meanwhile, some of them were younger than me saying this and they were also freaking out about their fertility. Right. You know, so I'm just like, well, so much easier said than done. And I feel like anxiety is the exact opposite of faith. Right. And it's hard because one is more in the spiritual realm. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I had never thought about that. Yeah. Anxiety um, is the polar opposite to faith and not really faith in a religious way, but just faith in In yourself, faith in the world, faith in what's supposed to come to you. And when you're just anxious all the time, you feel like you have, you should somehow have control of something that you don't have control of. Right. And it's, it's one of, you know, I think it's probably the biggest challenge of my life as a whole to let go of that on a daily basis, to let go of so every single little thing. I don't want to steer from this because I feel like this is a separate episode for sure, but I didn't know that you had anxiety and I feel like I have a mother, a daughter who definitely can get anxious about things. And I am someone that I don't want to say doesn't relate because I am someone that is super open to how people are feeling and I get people, um, but I didn't know that you struggled with that in general. Yeah. And there's a, there's an environmental component and there's a genetic component and there's, you know, the environmental is learned. My family, I'm the only one in my family that really subscribes to the fact that I'm like diagnosed anxious. Whereas if they were to go ask somebody with a degree in psychology, they would also say that they had the same problem. It's kind of a... It's just, it's just what it is. And it's very, very, very common. It's it's even more common now than before. I think the awareness around anxiety and mental health is going up. And then also we're just finding out that kids are anxious. 
Right. They're anxious. I want to say like, because of a lot of reasons. We, this is definitely a separate episode, Carrie's, but we're just like touching for, sure. for a moment. But I feel like I don't um, relate to being anxious, but you saying this, I definitely am os- like minor OCD where like I pop out of the bed and the bed is made when I leave it. If I leave the house, like every pillow is a certain way on the couches and Um, I don't feel okay about leaving unless everything is a certain way. And you just saying this, like, that's definitely like, it can make me anxious, but I think it's more on the lines of being OCD, but I guess OCD can be being anxious in a little bit of a way. OCD and anxiety are very close. Like they, they, the, they, they like they're adjacent, right? I can see that. They're adjacent. I didn't recognize that before this. And actually, the uh, the um, medication's the same. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. I the medication to treat OCD, anxiety, and depression is a SSRI, which is uh, it inhibits the serotonin from getting yanked out of the receptacle receptors too quickly, so that you can feel that happiness hormone a little bit more balanced. Okay. So that was just a lot of smart words. I got the whole part when you said that's the happiness thing. Um, yeah. But, but other than that, you lost me, but listen, I totally, I think that I've always, the good news about my OCD and being a little anxious is it's all in a positive way where I feel like, I'm not saying it doesn't um, have an impact on my life, but I think people can be, you know, um, their life can be rolled by their OCD or their anxiety. And I think all of mine is is in a very positive way that like the beds are all made and the pillows are all, you know, propped in the dishwashers. (laughs) Where other people, I think they're like washing their hands or they're shopping online or, you know what I mean? Like, I think I have positive OD- OCD. I don't know if there's such a thing, but it doesn't affect, it, besides the fact that my family is like, I was drinking out of that cup and you put it. It's gone now. It's, gone now. it's, it's already in the, in the wash, in the yeah. washer. And they were or I was still it. sleeping and you made the bed while I was like, <laughs> so funny. Um, okay, so we're gonna take a bookmark because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in another episode. We don't want to. Um, I'm gonna pivot be- us back, but I want to go to Kelly's grass patch because. So when we first ran into each other again, Kelly was holding had a baby on my hip, brand new last fourth baby that she had, Which and I was childless. He was my... I'm sorry? I like to call him my surprise blessing. Ah, love it. Mason, right? Mason. And, you know, I mean, we couldn't be farther from each other's situations because just like I say, I say he's a surprise blessing. Um, Emerson was a baby. I was still nursing her and found out I was expecting with Mason. I kept saying, I'm super tired. I I've done this three other times. I know the situation. Um, and I felt like I was on maternity leave, came back, went on maternity leave. And I remember the doctor saying, well, you can still nurse 
her while you're pregnant with him. And I was like, how many things can my body do? Like I'm exhausted, I'm tired. Um, but yeah, I did not have any issues. Um, having, you know, having babies or even in labor, like those things were all super easy for me. And, you know, I easily had four children. So it always makes me feel bad when there are other people that struggle and have a hard time because really I never tried for any of my children. Well, I think that's, that's also, look, I know a lot of women who are in their early twenties who find out they can't have kids. So it's not a rule, but for sure, human bodies want to have kids when you had kids. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, talking about grass greener on the other side, which obviously it's a little tricky to talk about that with kids because you are so excited for every child that you have. And I would never, ever turn back from saying that I wouldn't want Cameron in my life or Kenzie in my life or, you know what I mean? They all bring such, or even Mason being the last one. I think all of those are supposed to happen and are supposed to be part of the journey and all things. Um, So I'm super happy that I have all four, Um, but I don't know as with lots of things in my life that I like plotted and planned and expected them when they came into the world. Yeah. And you know, you having those kids, even though it was not such a hard way to, you know, you have four kids, we certainly shouldn't trivialize or downplay how hard it is to be a mom. And you're now a single mom would you say that, I don't know, thinking about that greener grass, because during those 20 years where you were raising those children and yeah. having this bountiful family, I traveled everywhere. Yes. I went everywhere. I spent time in, look, there's still countries that I haven't been to, but I spent a month in Lebanon and saw the whole country. I went to Asia multiple times. I did a whole tour of Canada, you know. These things are not things that you can do if you're raising two kids, three kids, then you have a fourth. Totally agree with what you're saying, but this is probably another topic for another day too. There is an aspect, um, you know, Greg Renfrew is the owner of Beauty Counter, the company that I work for. And she always says you can't have it. You can have it all, but not in the same day. And... I relate to that in a lot of ways, Um, but I did travel a lot for work, and I do think there is an aspect that I believe that I am a super amazing mom um, who has a really big corporate job, and it doesn't mean I love my children less. It doesn't mean that I'm there for them less and listening to things. And ultimately me working and traveling and doing all the things is always for them. Like everything I do is for the four of them. And so I think there was this period of time, which let's talk about too. Like I also live in the Midwest and in Ohio in a small town. 
And I think there were moments um, that people looked and said like, wow, she's here, there, everywhere, traveling for a corporate job. Um, You know, I don't want to say, does she love her kids? But like, is she there for her kids? And I think that there is this, you know, perception that if you have a corporate job and you're working really, really hard, that you can't be an amazing mom. And I think that you can. But that's probably a topic for a different day. But just saying like you did get to travel the world and you got to do lots of things because you put motherhood aside for a moment. Um, and I d- obviously haven't traveled the world and my life has been very, very different. But I also do think that I had a lot to balance and traveled with four kids. And it didn't take away from the fact that I adored them, loved them, and wanted to raise them to be amazing adults who are happy and healthy and doing all the things. Yeah, you're from a small town that we know very well. And there are just, there's just not a lot. I think that you're a bit unique in that town. I agree. Yeah, the the reason why you and I were able to connect was because, it's not because I visited my hometown very often. I don't. I don't get the chance. You were out here, and that's why we even had the opportunity. So what you're talking about is pre-COVID, the company that you work for is based in Santa Monica, California. So Kelly Kelly would make multiple trips a year. I remember her saying to me, in the year right before COVID, she'd be like, Hey, I'm going to be there in a week. I'm like, man, you know, like I was dealing with the pregnancy. She's like, don't worry. I'll be there in two more months. Right. So no big deal. So the perception of people maybe in your hometown, you being a single mom, you know, where's Kelly? Right. I think perception too, like I have a couple of quick examples and I do think this ties in and who knows, you know, what we keep and what, what we throw away from this episode, Carrie. But I, one, I remember my older two went to a private school, um, a, a Catholic school. And I remember showing up on the playground to pick them up after school, like dressed up in heels I was, I'm always a little frazzled and running into places at the last minute. And I felt, um, and maybe this was just, this is on me, but I felt a little bit like the crazy mom who showed up in heels a little late because I had a corporate job where there were a lot of moms picking up their kids that probably didn't relate to me in that aspect, you know, so that, and I feel like, um, even when you know, my life was changing. I was traveling a lot. I remember a family member saying to me, you know, you're posting that you're here, you're there on social media. And like, I have to explain to a couple people that you really are a good mom because you travel all the time. And I remember feeling super agitated and mad and saying that like, anyone that knows me and cares about me knows that I am a kick ass mom. And that I am all in all the time. And you should never feel like you have to explain that to people. And the people that you have to explain that to really don't matter to me. It's not any of my business what they think about me or what they're worried about because they it's just something to talk about. But that's just small town, I think, a little bit. And people seeing social media that I was here, there and everywhere and like judging 
my situation or what kind of mom I am. And I think ultimately I felt confident at the time of who I was, that everything I was doing financially was for my children. And I want my kids to know, like you can be an amazing parent and care about your children and also be strong and work really hard. Yeah. And I feel like it should be, although it's not a pact between all mothers all across the United States to just not judge each other because it's so hard anyway. And then you have that layer, you know, like you have that layer of judgment. It just hurts. Right. Even if you try to block it out. So Carrie, I was talking to a good friend last night who is scheduled to jump on with us. Um, And I'm sure she'll talk about this more, but she was saying that she's, um, you know, at her age, she doesn't really care what anyone thinks and that she's in this place that like, what you think about me is none, is none of my business. That's your deal. And it kind of spoke, we had, we just talked last night for a little while, um, for a long while actually. And it was kind of something that I need to, to, needed to hear or a reminder for me, not that I get stuck in that always, but she is super confident about who she is, where she's at in life. And she's like, what you think of me isn't really any of my business. I don't really care. And I think that's a huge reminder in a million things that we've talked about tonight. Um, we started off you talking about nursing and weaning and when you nurse and when you, when you're weaning. And, you know, I think that in life we're always, I hate it, but people are always looking at other people like, why are they doing this? And why are they doing that? And why are they still nursing? And why are they freezing their eggs? And how do they have four when they're traveling all over the place? And, you know, obviously motherhood isn't important to them. And the truth of the matter is, is everyone's just trying to do the best that they can with their own green patch and trying to rock life. And people know what they know and they're doing, you know, they're doing the best they can with the knowledge that they have and the situation that is before them. And that's life. You're listening to a Grand Rev Creative production of Greener Grass, a podcast. You can always find us on Instagram at Carrie One and Kelly underscore McVeigh. Thank you so much for being here today. Do you want to say hi? Yeah. Yeah. Say bye. We'll see you next time. All right, guys. Have an amazing week.